Welcome to The Average Shepherd. My name is Father Sam French, and today is Sunday in the 23rd week of Ordinary Time, and today's homily is called Panned by Jesus. Let's begin. Now, almost 20 years ago, when I was in year five, my class went on a three-day excursion to Bathurst. I remember traveling around on the bus, learning about the early settlers, the convict workers, the Bathurst Railway, and of course, the famous gold rush of 1851. Now, my most vivid memory of the trip, probably like many other children, is when we were actually taken down to the river and shown how to pan for gold. The basic idea is that you scoop a massive pay dirt into the pan. You agitate it, swirl it, tilt it and wash it, gradually separating the lighter, easily movable materials from the heavy ones. And then you repeat the process of panning until theoretically all that's left are those precious flecks of gold. Now, reflecting on this Sunday's gospel, I was reminded of this image of gold panning because Jesus, in a kind of way, begins the process of sifting his followers, testing to see who among them are like silt, easily washed away by the current of the world, and who among them are more like gold, standing out as shining examples, steadfast and committed to enduring until the end. Now, the gospel of Luke picks up today with Jesus nearing the end of his earthly ministry. He's on the way towards Jerusalem where he'll finally accomplish his mission, the forgiveness of our sins and, of course, the salvation of the world. His followers, of course, have no idea how that's actually going to look in reality, his passion and death on the cross, but at least for the time being, they're intrigued and they're all chasing after him. We read at the beginning of the gospel, great multitudes were following him. Jesus had become something of a celebrity. He was trending, if you will. It was the cool thing to do to follow after this rising rabbi who was healing lepers on one day and calling out the Pharisees on their hypocrisy the next. I'm sure the question was going around, could this be the Messiah they were waiting for, the one who was going to topple the Roman government that was oppressing them? Well, it seems Jesus is quite aware of his rising popularity, and today he sets to work gold panning, throwing out a strong message in order to purify the intentions of those who wish to call themselves his disciples. And I think his message is just as challenging today as it was for them back then. So Jesus begins with an icy splash of cold water. He says, If any man comes to me without hating his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and yes, his own life too, he cannot be my disciple. Now, this is a pretty extreme introductory statement, especially to our modern ears. So what is Jesus actually saying here? Well, when Jesus uses the word hate in this context, miseo in Greek, it means to love less than. Now, the Jews didn't tend to use our nuanced language of preference, like I prefer this food or I prefer that TV show. For them, if you loved one thing more, then you hated the other. For example, in my Bible, Genesis 29, verse 30, the English translation simply says, Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. But in the original Hebrew, what it literally says is Jacob loved Rachel and hated Leah. But we know from the text that Jacob does not hate Leah, as we understand the word, at least. He just loved Rachel more. So when Jesus asks us to hate our father, mother, spouse, children, and our own life too, he's saying that we must prioritize our faith and our commitment to being disciples of Jesus above and beyond everything else we hold dear. Even our family, he says, even our lives, which is what it means to be a martyr. That's the gold standard of Christian discipleship. 
Now, St. Gregory the Great, uh, a pope from the 6th century whose feast day we celebrated yesterday, he commented on this passage saying, We should have charity, we should have love towards all, towards family and towards strangers, but without ever separating ourselves from the love of God out of love for them. In other words, our love for anyone or anything in this world should never take us away from the primary purpose of our Christian lives, the love of and communion with God. The same thing was said at the Second Vatican Council in the document about the mission of lay people, your mission. It says, Christians seek to please God rather than men and should be ever ready to leave all things for Christ's sake. Now, this message can be really hard for us to hear because it's our human nature to want to have our cake and eat it too, to satisfy all of our wants and our desires in this world while at the same time considering ourselves as faithful disciples of Jesus and worthy of heaven. But Jesus is panning that mentality today. He's asking us to make a choice. He's asking us to put him as number one in our life, which means accepting the very real sacrifice and suffering which results from following him. Hence, in the very next line of today's gospel, Jesus asks us to deny ourselves, to bear our cross and come after him. That means dying to ourselves, fighting against our sinful temptations, lusts, hungers, tempers and inclinations, and seeking ways to use our God-given gifts in radical service of God and neighbor, to live a life of self-giving love like Christ. Now, the message of Christian discipleship in particular is repugnant to the postmodern cult of the self which saturates our Western world today. I think the hardest part of living as a Christian today is that we're constantly being told a lie. The world of advertising and social media are constantly promising a joy that can be found in chasing material things. If we just look or smell or dress a certain way, if we earn this much or get that many likes or drive that car or get X amount of subs or get that promotion, then we'll finally be content. We'll finally have that peace our soul is longing for. But as I mentioned last week, Even as our technology, our economy, and our standard of living increases, so so too do the rates of anxiety and depression, which exposes the lie that we as human beings can somehow satisfy ourselves. We can never satisfy our own soul because our soul is a spiritual creation made ultimately for union with an infinite God. I think the dramatic increase in mental illness is an important sign. Because it tells us something important about our world, that young people in particular are sensing that something is off. Something is missing, or closer to my point, someone is missing. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if we accept the false premise that human joy is found in the pleasure of material things, then the inevitable human suffering we experience is rendered meaningless, and it naturally leads to a depressive view of life. But as Christians... The opposite is true. In the words of the French poet Paul Claudel, he said, God did not come to do away with suffering. He did not even come to explain it. He came to fill it with his presence. Our faith is summarized in the cross. The hard road of discipleship, dying to the self, and living selflessly for others is a fool's errand if Jesus remains for us nothing but a nice idea an ancient myth, or a wise teacher. The only thing that makes Jesus worth following is if he is who he says he is, the Son of God, 
who loves each of us personally with a perfect love, who died on the cross to take away the guilt of our sin and can make good on his promise to bring true joy to our restless souls. What Christ offers his disciples is a gift beyond compare, something more precious than gold. He offers us an enduring joy, not like the fleeting delight of material pleasures that we're used to, but a fullness of life, a perspective that imbues every creation, every relationship, every encounter we have, even our sadnesses and sufferings with the presence of God. But the only way that we'll ever follow after a God who basically guarantees that we're going to suffer along the way is if we trust him and not only trust him, but fall in love with him. Now, falling in love with Jesus might sound a little fanatic to some of you out there. It's not language that Catholics are usually comfortable with using, but it's exactly what Christ is asking of us. Fortunately, falling in love with Jesus is not difficult once you encounter him, when you experience his love for you and catch a glimpse of his mercy and what he has done for you on the cross. He draws that love right out of you. So I just want to finish today with my three tips for falling in love with with Jesus. Number one, remove obstacles. None of us are perfect. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all struggle with certain sins that weigh us down and prevent us from moving forward in holiness. Bring those to Jesus in confession. Allow his perfect love to cast out fear, his mercy to wash away any obstacle that holds you back from loving him. Number two, draw him closer We can't fall in love with Jesus if he remains a wispy image in our imagination. We have to discover who he is, what he's like, and how he lives. The best way to do this, of course, is by reading scripture, God's own word, especially the four gospels. But if you know already that you're going to struggle with that to begin with, begin by watching the chosen TV show online. I think it's by far and away the best depiction of Jesus on screen that I've ever seen. And number three, speak with him. This is the most important. Spend some time each day in silent prayer and conversation with Jesus, speaking to him as you would a friend, just laying everything out in the open for him, inviting him into the situation of your life. Cardinal Robert Sarah says, There's nothing more countercultural you can do in this postmodern world than to seek God in the silence. He says, This age detests the things that silence brings to us encounter, wonder, and kneeling before God. So those three things are remove obstacles with confession, draw him closer with scripture or the chosen TV show, and speak with him in daily prayer. Let's pray for the grace to become gold standard disciples. We give you thanks, almighty God, for the gift of your son Jesus, who bore the weight of our sins on the cross and opened for us the font of everlasting joy. Grant us your grace to respond faithfully as disciples placing you first above all things in life and drawing us into loving relationship with you. We ask this in your holy name through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help me spread the word in The Average Shepherd, share this online with anyone you think might benefit. Thank you and God bless.